Uh, anyways, as we head into uh, uh, the last chapter of Colossians, we are going to be looking at Colossians 4, 2 to 6 uh, this morning. And hopefully you're enjoying it. We have one more, well, we have this week and next week, and we wrap up Colossians, and then we're into the Advent season. Uh, as Louisa uh, mentioned, it is Christmas time. I'm not sure where you're at in your Christmas decorations, but we have an Olaf on our deck. Uh, that he's about four feet tall, that the kids are really trying to get in the house. But we got to make sure it stays outside of the house. It's one of those blow-up inflatables. And so Evie for sure wants it in her room, but it's not going in her room. Anyways, Colossians 4, 2 to 6 is what we're touching on this morning. Uh, many of us, we gravitate toward the stories of those, you know, who overcome the odds, uh, people who go from a place of tragedy to a place of triumph. Uh, for most movies, that's the storyline. A main character is overcoming the odds, uh, you know, and, if, and they fall down only to rise again. And so we find these stories compelling, and that's what makes the movie so compelling. And we are, are drawn in as we hear of those, you know, they were hopeless, and yet they found hope. And so how often do we consider as Christians uh, that this is our story, actually? This is what our story looks like. And the, description, the scriptures, they're very clear. That we are all born spiritually lost, poor and without hope. But through Jesus, we are given this, this new life with him. But how often do we stop and we stand in awe of the change that we have experienced? This week, I, I was, it's, oh, past week was Remembrance Day, and we remembered those who went before us and who lost their lives. Uh, but we also, it causes us to remember, you know what, life 10 years ago or 20 years ago, or hopefully it caused you to look back in your life and, and look back at some of those fond moments or even think about the time when you came to know Jesus. Or to go a step further, how often now do we actually share of the story of our redemption with others in hope that they will see their need, you know what, for a Savior and believe? And so Colossians is this letter that, you know, Christ, he is working change within his people. And Paul, he has dealt with this thoroughly with the redemption of believers in the first three chapters. But as we move towards this conclusion in this last chapter, he encourages the reader to consider their own responsibility in sharing the good news of the gospel. So in this short paragraph, in these five verses that we're going to touch on this morning, Paul speaks to three areas of life that we must consider if we're actually serious about sharing the gospel with those that we know. And three of those ways, they'll look like this. The way we pray, the way we live, and the way we speak. And so before we dive into these five verses, I just want to pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we recognize that uh, we're here because of you. Lord, we've accepted you. Lord, we've recognized that you are the reason, Lord, that uh, we have hope. Lord, as we dive into this section of Scripture, Lord, we want to recognize that we are given this responsibility, and Paul even lays out a way for us to share this well, which is your good news, Jesus. So, Lord, let our ears and our hearts be open to what you have to say this Sunday morning. In your name we pray. Amen. Sorry, if I keep touching my ear, it's not because I've got, you know, hair growing in it. I mean, I'm sure I do, but it's, uh, I feel like this is going to fly off my microphone, and so... Uh, I must have small ears. Anyways, Colossians 4, 2-6 says this, Devote yourself to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. 
Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. So right away, Paul describes, presents the way we pray. And if we are serious about sharing the gospel, we must consider the way we pray. And so right at the beginning, we see Paul, he describes three ways to pray. Persistently, watchfully, and thankfully. So what does this persistent prayer look like? And Jesus, you know, he talks about this persistent prayer many times during his time on earth. And he spoke about in parables to describe this. I don't have it up here on the screen, but if you have your Bibles, please turn to Luke 18, 1 to 5. Or if you have your Bible app on the phone, you obviously can open that up. Uh, if not, just write, that, write this uh, section down or listen to my beautiful voice say it to you. And so here we go. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow just keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. And so why would Jesus explain it, prayer in this way? And why would God work that way even? And so God responds like this because he is glorified through our persistent boldness. By pounding on the door, by praying and refusing to give up, you know, we declare our confidence in his goodness, even as we sang this morning, and the power of God. And the more pounding, the greater the declaration of confidence. We keep coming to the door and we're like, Jesus, you're the only one who can help me in this space. Lord, I need you in this space. And so we consistently knock and knock and knock because our confidence is in him, knowing that he is the one that we need. So this parable of persistent prayer just shows how important communication is with God. And so sometimes we use, you know, the phone as an analogy, as the way to pray. We're like, you know, we say prayer is like picking up the phone and talking with God. But our phones today, the phone actually, you know, it's gain power when they aren't being used today, right? When they're plugged in, they're gaining power. But when we use them, they begin to drain. Prayer is just the opposite of that. It increases in power the more we use it. And when you hang it up, actually the power drains out. And so Paul echoes this in the context of persistently praying as he encourages us to be connected you know, to, to prayer as we share the gospel. He says we need to pray persistently. It keeps us connected with Christ when we do that. He says we need to pray watchfully. watchfully. You know, we pray with the awareness of God doing work in our life now and with an eye towards him, and it helps us to see actually through his eyes. And we need to pray thankfully. Pray with gratitude as you remember the work of the gospel in your life. And as I just mentioned earlier before, Remembrance Day, it causes us to remember. But also it should cause us to remember. We all need to be constant in a constant space of remembering of where we've come from because it does something to our hearts. That's why sharing our story is so important because it humbles us and it recognizes where we came from. Oh, and there it goes. All right. So Paul, he is sharing this, that we need to be in communication with Jesus if we want to communicate Jesus to the world. We need to be in communication with Jesus if we want to communicate him to the world. We need him to communicate it well. 
Because prayer is this essential for success in showing the gospel. It's essential because two important things happen when we pray. First, God prepares us to show the gospel, and then God prepares others to receive it. Went on a missions trip to Scotland, and our whole focus was to go out and to share the gospel, to go into the streets to those that didn't know Jesus and have conversations and have opportunities to talk about Jesus. And so what we did every morning before we went out is we just spent time in prayer because we needed to pray. We needed to pray to God, give us wisdom as we share this. And we'll talk about wisdom a bit more as we head through this sermon. When we pray, Christ rubs off on us and people are drawn to Christ through us because they see Jesus in us. It's like this. Have you ever spent time with somebody, uh, and then as you walked away from that person, you began to smell a little bit like them? I'm not sure. You know, maybe they had a perfume that were, they were wearing, and after you leave, you're like, oh, wow, I smell pretty. Um, or, you know, they have, they have a cologne that they're wearing, and you're like, wow, I smell musky. Um, or, you know, maybe you've been with somebody who smoked, and you left going like, did I just smoke a pack? I don't know. And so, or if you spend time in McDonald's, have you ever walked away from McDonald's smelling like a Big Mac? Uh, we all have been there. Your McDonald's stench stays for days. And so um, the same thing happens whenever we pray. We come away from prayer covered with the fragrance of Jesus. And so how can we share the gospel if we're not covered with the fragrance of Christ? This is how Paul put it in 2 Corinthians 2, 14 to 16. He said, thanks be to God who is Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads in every place the fragrance that comes from knowing him. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved, among those who are perishing. To the one, we are fragrance from death to death. From those are the ones who don't like the aroma of Christ and as a consequence turn away from him and die in their sin. But to another, we are fragrance from life to life. So in prayer, God prepares us to show the gospel. And through prayer, God actually prepares others to receive the gospel. And so that's why Paul asked the Colossians to pray for him and his companions. He said pray for, he was praying for them, but he was also asking prayer for himself and his companions. Because in Colossians 4.3, Paul says, Pray for us as well that God will open to us a door for the word that we may declare the mystery of Christ for which I am in prison so that I may reveal it clearly as I should. Our prayers are an open door for the word and prepare others to receive the message of Christ. I can't say this enough. We need to be in communication with God, with Jesus, if we want to communicate Jesus to the world. A big part of our prayer life is praying that we have the opportunity to share Christ and to share it well. When we pray, this will, will actually bring a Christ to the forefront of our mind. It actually will bring our message to the forefront of our mind. And we will be aware of our purpose as believers. And we also give Christ the opportunity to give us wisdom and grace as we speak the gospel. And so if we're not praying about sharing the gospel, the reality is we're not thinking about it, and it will actually show in our life. 
So this week, as we go through the week, I encourage you, I implore you, I challenge you to spend time praying each morning, each afternoon, each evening, whenever it is that you pray, to ask Christ to give you the opportunity to share the gospel and to have the words to say. Something will change in your life. Opportunities will come. And you'll realize this. We're afraid to share it sometimes because like, what, what, what are they going to say? But the beauty as we draw close to Christ, he gives us wisdom on what to say. And he had to trust that he's actually preparing their hearts on the other side. So if we want to show the gospel in this or any setting, then we need to talk to Jesus before we talk to others. And this is a life skill that I'm talking about with our kids right now. to using their filters before they speak if they're wondering something. Not that I want them to talk to me before they say any words. But there's stories of when my kids have said something when maybe they should have come and talked to me first. Malachi, as a young boy at the co-op grocery store, he looks at the teenage cashier who is obviously going through the, the wonderful change of boy to man. And he says, he asks the pubescent boy, uh, what's wrong with your face? And so, <laughs> as he's going through acne. Zying, asking the lady who looks like she is with child but actually isn't with child, hey, when is your baby due? Or Jude simply just like shouting from the rooftop to all of his classmates that Santa isn't real. And so, my boys, I want them to come and speak to me, to, to spend, ask me the questions. You know what? And Paul is sharing this sentiment too. Talk with Christ so that he can guide you and guide others as you share the gospel. And the Holy Spirit will empower you and lead you in those moments. Talk with him. Spend time with him. Ask him for those moments. Put the gospel of Christ on, your forefront, on the forefront of your mind. Have you ever asked yourself this question? How do I share the gospel in this setting, in this culture that we are, like, we are experiencing? It seems impossible with all the agendas, right, that we are facing outside of the world that we can do this well. But this is the way. By persistent, watchful, thankful prayer coming to the door, persistently asking Jesus, Lord, help me. Show me the way. Lord, show me how to share your word. Lord, give me wisdom. Lord, prepare the hearts of those who I might see, who I feel like I should share them with. I'm trusting that your Holy Spirit is leading me in that moment and is preparing me for this time. Paul continues. He says, be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Now, Paul shares this about the way we live. He says, the way we pray, the way we live. If we're serious about sharing the gospel, we must consider the way we live our lives. Now, we see the transition from this personal prayer time to this practical time of living. And the Christian life isn't only supposed to live, be lived in the prayer closet. There we go. It came out. There also must be practical, lived-out Christianity, which lives wisely toward those who are on the outside. And so Paul shows us two practical ways to do this. He says, live with wisdom in the world. He says, the way we live, this is one way you can do it, by living with wisdom in the world. And so living with wisdom means knowing how to live in a way that is consistent with who we are in Christ. And so wisdom is actually this, the ability to apply knowledge. It is not enough to know a lot about the Bible and theology. That's great. That's where we start. That's how we, you know, we know what Jesus is about. 
to know the Bible like is great, but the inability to apply it can lead to some puffed up believers. As those who are in Christ, we must live in a way that reflects the salvation that we've experienced. We must live in a way of redeemed people, ones who have been showed grace. Because others are watching, and our lives should be a testimony to the change of the gospel. So we need to walk the walk before we can talk the talk. What a classic saying. Had to throw it in there. We need to live lives that show Christ. We may not be perfect, and I know we aren't, but Christ needs to be seen in us, and his fragrance, as I mentioned before, as we spend time in prayer, needs to be on us. Titus 2, 7-8 says, Show yourself in all respects a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, gravity, and sound speech that cannot be censored. Then any, moment of, then any opponent sorry, will be put to shame, having nothing evil to say of us. The second way is he says to live with purpose in the world. To live with wisdom, but live with purpose in the world. So Paul provides this important reminder, this important thing that maybe that we're all getting to understand that time is actually limited and fleeting. As we seek to be faithful with the gospel, to be faithful with what we have heard and what we've accepted, we must be good stewards of our time and the opportunities that we have. We should also be creative in finding time and opportunities for the gospel. And just a little context reminder, hey, Paul is saying this while he's in prison. And he asks them to pray for him too. He asks the Colossians, pray for me too in this moment. So Paul is asking the church of Colossians, hey, pray that I'll have opportunities to share the gospel while I'm in jail. He's in not a, such a, a comfortable space. And he's in jail, and he's asking the Colossians to help him share the gospel. And so Paul is looking to make the most of his opportunities and for his attitude while he is in prison. He's asking for wisdom to share the gospel at the most appropriate time with the guards or those who are imprisoned also. He's asking Christ, help prepare my heart and the heart of the guards and the inmates as I prepare to share the gospel. We are to be aware of every opportunity that is in front of us and how precious those moments are. So the phrase that he says, making the most of the time, is translated as this, redeeming or buying up every opportunity. So the, in, the Greek paints this interesting picture. It's the picture of someone buying something quickly before it slips away. And so he's saying preach the gospel quickly before it slips away. Like, have we gone to the store, right? It's getting close to Christmas time, as we mentioned. Black Friday sales. Sales are coming up everywhere. When we go to Costco, I know we're like, I need to get this now. Or if I turn my back and I look at it again, it's probably gone. And so we buy up those opportunities quickly. We are quick to grab it because we recognize the opportunity in front of us. So my birthday this week. Woo! Yeah. Turn 23. Just kidding. Turn 37. <laughs> Turning 37, and I know some of you might hear that and say, you're so young. And yes, I am young. Um, but I still can't believe I'm going to be 37. And you know what? I'm getting close to 40. And the other day, I was laying down on my belly, uh, and I was getting up. And as I like moved my legs up like this, it literally sounded like somebody took bubble wrap 
and squeezed it. It was like crack, 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 crack. And so many years of playing basketball are starting to show its effect on my body. Um, I was watching America's Funniest Home Videos. I don't know where I'm going with this. But Tom Bergeron, the host, you know, he was hosting, and the quality just looked really poor. And I saw that the release date was 20 years ago. Then I thought, and I remembered, I remember when Bob Saget was the host. And so then I felt old. Anyways, time goes quickly is what I'm talking about here. Time is fleeting. Time goes quickly. And that's what Paul means when he says, act wisely. Be aware of the preciousness of time and make sure you fulfill your role as believers. He says, by the way, or by the way, admonishing to act wisely means, of course, this on the other side. It's actually possible to act foolishly. Shocking. Um, Acting foolishly means not taking eternity into account or not investing in things that last forever. We need to be aware of what's in front of us. We need to buy up every opportunity that we see. And you know how we do that? Spending that time in prayer, recognizing that these moments are fleeting, that God will give you wisdom on how to share the gospel each and every day and every opportunity that you have. So the last verse says, Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Lastly, we see on this guide on how to live, on how we are supposed to live and share the gospel. We need to pray. We need to walk. We need to live a life that exemplifies the gospel. Then we need to speak. We actually need to use words. The way we speak, if we are serious about sharing the gospel, we must consider the way we speak. While we should pray for opportunities for the gospel, that's where it starts. And while we should live in a way that proclaims the gospel, that's the way we act, we must always remember that the gospel must be spoken. And Paul, he gives us two admonitions about the way we speak the gospel. He says, one, speak with grace. We recognize this, that the gospel is a serious and often offensive message, can be, for some people. With that said, we must never water it down, but we should share it with kindness and grace, and we should speak it with the truth and love. If we have experienced the marvelous grace of Christ in our lives, then our actions and our speech should be as gracious when we're talking about it. Sometimes the gospel is said so abruptly and forcefully that it doesn't resemble the grace that Jesus came to show us. And then it's said in a way that people actually forget about the, the grace that they received. It should soften us. It should be something, right? This fragrance that comes off of us when we share it because it's beautiful. Because the message is one of grace, one of that he has come for us. What we say about Christ and about the Christian life should be made as appetizing as possible. When food is not salted, right, its taste is bland. People don't want to eat it. It's unappetizing. I'm not sure what you're thinking about at this moment. Hopefully it's none of your wife's cookings, but you know what? It's, um, our speech is not supposed to be like that. It's not supposed to be bland. Salt in the ancient world was actually a precious commodity. Today, right, we throw it on our roads. But back then, there was great effort made to get salt, but actually, it was actually even used as a method of payment back in the day. That's how important and valuable it was. Imagine going to the IGA, you buy like $15 of food, you whip out some salt, and you just start pouring it onto the counter, and you'd be like, tell me when to stop. Like, I'm not sure what $15 worth of salt is. Imagine doing that. You can't, because it's ludicrous. Anyways, salt was something that was looked after because it had value. 
Paul is saying two things when he says our speech should be seasoned with salt. He's saying this, when something is valuable, we take care of it. We take care of it. We should share the gospel as it is precious to us, that it is highly valuable to us. The second thing salt does, right? Taste. Paul links grace and salt together. He says this, grace tastes good. If you're going to write down one thing, write down this, grace is yummy. Um, if you need a, yeah, grace is yummy. Grace, gracious, gracious speech is always more palatable than speech which lacks it. Proverbs 15.1 states, A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The gospel is that, a gospel of grace. And we tend to forget about that when we share it. We made it, it, what makes it attractive is grace. There's much grace within it. As followers, as believers, as one who proclaim to accept and live out the gospel of grace, we should strive to be enjoyable people to converse with. Salty people, not the salty you're thinking of. Like, salty as it tastes good. No one wants to hear the good news from somebody who's a bore. As salt acted as a preservative, keeping the food wholesome, our speech should be the same way. In Ephesians, Paul mentions the corrosive effect of filthy speech. He says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear it. Give grace to those who hear it. I'm going to call off the worship team. I'm just going to close with this last note. Paul wants us to speak with grace, and he wants us to speak with readiness. As those who've experienced redemption ourselves, we should always be prepared to tell others about the salvation that we have found. Be ready to share of the hope that is within you, within you. This last section really connects the importance of prayer and sharing the gospel. Each person is different and each situation is different. And so how, you know, we go to somebody who is, you know, maybe 30 and then we go to somebody who's maybe 60. How do we share the gospel? That's where we need the wisdom of Christ. That's where we persistently go in prayer to the Lord. Help me to share this well to this person. Help me to connect with this person. Who knows that person better than Christ? The gospel is the same, and Christ is the same, but there are countless ways to serve the meal. And we need wisdom how to serve, and wisdom how to share it. Colossians 4, 2-6 shows that God is concerned about both our personal prayer life and our interaction with the world. He cares about the prayer closet and the public street. And he wants us to care about it also. My desire is that we are a church that lives this out, that we prayerfully go to Jesus and we ask him for ways to share the gospel, that we ask him, Lord, I know you put this person on my heart. I want to pray for them. And we pray for them. We commit to pray for them, asking them, Christ, for ways to share the gospel. If you haven't been like asking, Lord, help me to share your good news, I encourage you this week to make that part of your prayer life but then also to be aware of it as you go throughout your week. Don't be afraid knowing that you've prayed it, that Christ is preparing you, and he's also preparing that person. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this section of Scripture. Lord, how it encourages us to spend time praying, drawing close to you, asking you for wisdom on how to share of the gospel of grace that is within us. 
Lord, we need you. We want to have that fragrance of you as we go throughout our week. Lord, we want to pray, we want to live, and we want to speak. So we thank you for the word shared in this message. Lord, I pray, Lord, that it captivates our hearts this week as we go out. Praying this way takes the focus off us and puts it solely on others. And Lord, that exemplifies you and what you came to do. So Father, we thank you. You are with us. You lead us. You guide us. Lord, let us persistently knock like that widow. Because we need you. We are confident in you, Father. Amen.